and uh, we, have, we have the offering plates here on the platform for your giving unto the Lord, and we want to encourage everybody to give unto the Lord. Amen. Anybody? Can anybody say, this is my church? This is my church. Amen. This is my church. This is not one of the churches I attend. This is my church. Amen. Amen. This is the church. Amen. Where God has done the work in my life. Amen. And the beautiful thing about commitment is commitment is something you do when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Commitment is something that you say, you know what, this is the church that God saved me, where he gave me revelation, where he restored me. I'm going to, amen, commit my life, amen, to the God of heaven. And I'm going to follow the shepherd and the pastor that he's put in my life. Amen. So we uh, we give our tithe, our offering. Amen. And if this is your church, amen, this is where you give all your tithe. Amen. This is not a place where you split some of your tithe here and some of your tithe goes to the televangelists or the church down the road or the church in another city or what have you. But this is a church, amen, where you give all your tithe and you give all your offerings and you give your missions to, amen. And so as we have our tithe, offering, and missions, and we have the offering place here, amen, we want you to uh, be faithfully given to the Lord, amen. Uh, I, I was, upon getting married, amen, my wife and I, we, we moved into a place in Fremont. And we began um, going to church in San Jose on weekdays and then trying to come here on the weekends and help my father earn the time that he was still pastoring. And we did that for a little while. And, uh, you know, due to the commute on, on the weekdays, we weren't able to come out here. But sun, Sundays we'd come out here and then eventually reach a point, amen, where uh, we felt led to to commit ourselves solely to one church, amen, uh, the first church of San Jose. And, and even then, uh, even during that, those first few years of our marriage, I would still pay my tithe to my father to help out the work of God here in Lathrop. Um, and then I reached a point, amen, several years into being at first church when uh, God spoke to uh Pastor Shoemaker and, t- and said, you need to talk to Brother Nate. Uh, that's how they, they talk and refer to me and it's a in term of endearment, really. Uh, but Pastor Shoemaker came and talked to me. He said, Brother Nate, I understand you're still paying your tithe. I've never asked you for your tithe. But he said, um, and this was really a test if I look back on it. He said, Brother Nate, I want you to start paying all your tithe here to First Church. And this is a church where you're committed to right now. And he said, I know it might hurt the, the church down the road, which was Abundant Life Center, but you need to pay all your tithe here. And he was testing me to see if I would submit myself to his rule and his leadership in my life. Not his rule, but his leadership in my life. And uh, I said, yes, pastor. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do that. That's what you ask of me. And uh, God... Was God will test you and I, Amen. And and I was talking to Brother Nate before church, Amen. We get here early to practice, and I'm here earlier. I'm praying and preparing. Um, but a lot of times, well, the Scripture says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not the will of God that you your heart is split in two different directions. It's the will of God that your heart be solely in one place, solely in one church, solely on one God. And you give, amen, your tithe 100% to the church of God here at this place. And so um, finances are indicator of the heart. If your heart's split, you're giving tithe here, giving tithe there. If your heart's not in it at all, you don't even care to pay tithe at all. Amen, but... And then you watch as someone is just in love with Jesus and they're just 
where they need to be spiritually, you'll watch their, their giving go up because they're enthralled, they're in love with Jesus. I just want to share that with you tonight as we have the tithe and offering. Uh, we have the plates up here where uh, we have the giving made available, but amen. I am thankful, amen, that God has made a way. Uh, God has made a way. Um, just share a little bit more about that topic of tithe. Uh, years ago, my uh, years and years ago, uh, my wife and her brother were uh, raised at First Church in San Jose, and their mother and father uh, decided to go to a different church, but the kids stayed there present at First Church. And I thought something that was very telling, very interesting. All the years, amen, that my wife and her brother were at First Church, her mom and dad paid tithes to First Church because that was the place that was providing spiritual guidance and insight uh, to their children. And uh, that, that all that stuff means something. It's not something that we take haphazardly. I make no bones about the fact that I still pay tithe here, amen, and I've never missed one tithe. Amen. If I get behind, I'll catch up. I haven't been behind in years, but I make it a priority and I make it uh, utmost importance that I'm going to be faithful in my tithe and in my offering. And I will stand before the Lord with a clear conscience. Amen. And so God is faithful. He's able to provide. He's able to meet every need. Uh, giving is such in the, in, the, in the word of God. And I'm I hope I'm not getting off on the rabbit trail, but given as such in the kingdom of God, that if if it's the last five dollars you've got left, and God says, I want that five dollars. And you're thinking, well, that's my happy meal for my kid after church. And God speaks to you in church and says, that money that's in your wallet, I want that. If you trust in the Lord, if you know your God, you'll say, God. Here, I put it in your hands. The story of the prophet Elijah and that woman that had that just that cruise of oil that said, I have just a little bit of oil, a little bit of meal in the barrel. My son, I can eat it. We're going to die. God's God's a prophet to say, I want that. God will test you and I where our hearts that and our faith in him. And if you say, God, I believe that you can make a way for me. I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know when. Amen. But if we'll put our faith and our confidence in God, God will make a way for us. Amen. Second Peter chapter number one. Amen. Second Peter chapter number one. Amen. We got Amen corner over there, Sister Ava. She's my talker. Amen. Second Peter chapter one. If you have it, say amen. amen. All right. It reads, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That's you and I tonight. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this giving all diligence. Add to your faith. So faith is the first component. Amen. And that there's a process of addition that happens here in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue diligence and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. So this is a way to be uh, to not be barren and to not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he that ha- but he that lacketh these things is blind. That's the first thing. And cannot see afar off. That's called short-sightedness. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's called amnesia. So there's blindness, there's short-sightedness, and there's amnesia that's mentioned in verse number 9. But verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. There's that word diligence again. And it's interesting that the word diligence is being used by the Apostle Peter. He's using the word diligence. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. I'm going to read that same passage of scripture in your hearing in a different version. This is the contemporary English version. I want you to hear, hear it tonight. It says, we have everything that we need to live a life that pleases God. It was all given to us by God's own power when we learned that he had invited us to share in his wonderful goodness. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. And then it says, do your best to improve your faith. Here's where it talks about add to your faith virtue. Do your best to improve your faith. You can do this by adding goodness, understanding, self-control, patience, devotion to God, concern for others, and love. If you keep growing in this way, it will show that what you know about the Lord Jesus Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. But if you don't grow, you are like someone who is nearsighted or blind and you have forgotten that your past sins are forgiven. My friends, you must do all you can to show that God has really chosen and selected you. If you keep on doing this, you won't stumble and fall. Amen. My title tonight is The Call to Spiritual Growth. The Call to Spiritual Growth. Amen. Let's pray before we're seated tonight. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. I thank you for everything. I pray, God, that you would help me to communicate clearly to the people of God the things that are of utmost importance, God. And that is a word fit, Lord, for this season of their lives, God, and where we are as a church, God. I pray you would anoint me, God, as a humble vessel in your hands. Use me, God. I pray you would anoint every heart, anoint every mind to be receptive and open to the word of the Lord here tonight. And we will not fail to give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You can be seated. This passage of scripture is, as you can see in your Bible, 2 Peter. It's the second epistle, the second general epistle of Peter, which implies, and as you probably, if you turn your your Bible to the left a couple of pages, that there's a first Peter. First Peter, that first general epistle of Peter, was a book of consolation. And it was a book of encouragement for the Jewish believers. That was the overall thrust of First Peter. However, the book of Second Peter that we read, that we read here tonight from, is written as the Apostle Peter is nearing the end of his life during the uh, Roman Emperor Nero's reign. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, is anticipating the end of his life. And he writes to ensure that his readers and the Jewish believers, that they would remain firmly established in apostolic truth, rather than becoming undermined by the heresies promoted by false teachers. So it was this awareness that came to the Apostle Peter nearing the end of his life that gave Peter the sharpened focus on the issues of ultimate significance. 
It's amazing what knowing that you are at the end of your life, what it will do to your actions and your behaviors and your speech and your words. Amen. Peter knew uh, somehow within him that he was nearing the end of his life. And he had one more opportunity, opportunity to write a letter to the Jewish believers. And while his first uh, epistle uh, was one of encouragement and consolation. Come on, y'all, you can do it. Uh, believe in yourself. God's going to help you. Don't be discouraged. And other things that he would write. But in Second Peter, he begins to see, amen, that on the horizon for the apostolic church, there was going to come some false teachers there was going to come some wolves in sheep's clothing and people that would try to seduce the church and would try to get them off course and would try to distort their view of the things of God. And so Peter sets out with uh, parchment and pen and begins to write the second epistle of Peter to the same Jewish believers. And here as he's ending, nearing the end of his life, he begins to take an entirely different focus and he begins to say you know I want to help these people amen so that no matter what they encounter in the near future they will be able to handle what is coming their way and so this uh, this awareness that gave it was this awareness that gave Peter that sharpened focus on the issues of ultimate concern and ultimate significance Peter admonishes the Christians in Asia Minor to live holy and godly and blameless lives. However, also inherent in 2 Peter, the apostle warns against false teachers and false doctrine that would attempt to push its way into the church. And here in this epistle, Peter gives the antidote, if you will, to the coming false teachers and doctrines. That antidote that... Peter delivered to the Jewish believers was that uh, they were to develop a life of faith, a life of virtue, a life of knowledge, a life of self-control, a life of perseverance, a life of godliness, a life of brotherly kindness. And ultimately the eighth thing that he would subscribe to would be uh, a life of love. And developing these qualities, as Peter begins to tell the Jewish believers, he tells them that developing these qualities will assure the believers a life of spiritual fullness. If they could develop these qualities, they would have a life of spiritual fruitfulness. And if they could develop these qualities, they would have a life of spiritual stability as opposed to spiritual blindness and spiritual amnesia and spiritual short-sightedness. And so Peter begins to write and he begins to tell them, Amen, there's going to come false teachers. There's going to come people that will try to get you off course. Amen, and distract you. And it's my desire tonight to help somebody in this place to become what God wants them to become. The call to growth. The call to spiritual growth. The call to spiritual growth. I mentioned a moment ago as we were, re- as we were reading through Second Epist- Peter chapter 1. That the word diligent or diligence is used. I began to study this out and things began to pop out from the pages. The word diligence is used. Which means to bring in all zeal and effort. Or in other words, put all you've got into this process. Give all diligence, Peter says. Amen. Put everything you've got into this process of becoming what God wants you to become. Apply yourself to this process. Apply yourself, amen, to the call, amen, from the other world, amen, to grow spiritually in the sight of God. And it makes sense if you look through the pages of your Bible that it would be Peter that would say, give all diligence. After all, it was 
the apostle Peter, amen, that uh, uh, following the crucifixion of Jesus and then the resurrection, that, that it was Peter and the disciples that said, I go a fishing. You read your Bible, I believe it's in the book of Luke. And the book of John also talks about how Peter would be there on the boat with a few disciples. And Jesus would show up for the first time in, the, in, their, uh, in their presence following his resurrection. And they would see Jesus and he would tell them, you remember the story, he would say, cast your nets on the other side. And they would cast their nets on the other side. And the, the, the nets would be filled with fish. And Peter would recognize because John would tell him that that, that was Jesus there on the, on the shoreline. And it was Peter that said, hey, y'all can row if you want to. Y'all can do your thing in the boat and take your time getting there. But it was Peter, read your Bible, that literally jumped out of the boat and swam as fast as he could to Jesus. He gave all diligence. He put every bit of effort, every bit of zeal that was in him. He said, I'm going to get what God has for me. I'm going to get back to the presence of God. I will not wait on anybody else, but I want what God has for my life. Again, you read your Bible. It was Peter, amen, that as they were on the ship, the disciples one day, I believe it was the Sea of Galilee, that they saw a man walking on the water and it looked like a ghost. And Peter, it was Peter that said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to get out of the boat. And Jesus said, it's I, come, Peter. And the Bible says that Peter got out of the boat and began walking on the water. Amen. A man that would tell the people later in his life, give all diligence. Give everything you've got. Put forth every bit of effort. Show forth every bit of zeal that you've got within your crawl. Amen. To get what God has for you. That St. Peter wrote, give all diligence. It was the same person, amen, that Jesus one day began to ask the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Amen. And see, they, some said, thou art Elias, some Jeremiah, the prophet. Amen. But when Jesus proposed a question, whom do you say that I am? It was Peter that jumped up and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There was diligence on the part of the Apostle Peter to get the attention of God. Diligence on the part of Peter. Whatever bit of energy, strength you have, put it towards the things of God. We've got people in different walks of life in our church tonight. We've got children. And we've got college and career aged young men. We've got working moms and dads. We've got working grandparents. We've got some retired. We've got people in different areas and places in life. But every one of us is to give diligence to it. Us that are younger and working and have families cannot say as much as we want to say, well, when the kids get older, I'll give diligence to it. Those that are younger, maybe in college, high school, cannot say, when I get out of school, I'll give diligence to the things of God. Those that are up, climbing up in years cannot say, well, when I have me some good days and I'm feeling a little bit better and my back stops hurting, then I'll give diligence to it. Because in every stage of life, we're going to have reasons why we can't do what God wants us to do. In the stage of life that I'm at right now, it's not always easy. I have to purpose. If I'm going to give diligence to it, I'm going to get up early. Or I'm going to stay up late. Or I'm going to sneak in time when the kids are sleeping, when there's breaks in between. But I will give diligence to it. We have all got to give diligence to it. 
for believers to give all diligence because the words are used. Give all diligence. Verse number five. Giving all diligence. Somebody say all diligence. All diligence. Giving all diligence. It indicates that nothing should be lacking in your effort to grow spiritually. You've got to employ everything you've got within you that you might grow spiritually because the Apostle Peter recognized that when he would depart, there would come false teachers and false Christ and people that would offer a better way or a quicker and easier way or, or some kind of shortcut, but it would be Peter that would say, you've got to give all diligence, everything that you've got inside. It's going to take all that you've got. If you want what God has for your life, if you want to grow spiritually, honey, you've got to apply all diligence. You can't, amen, approach God haphazardly and say, well, I'll pray today, I'll skip tomorrow because I'm going to be busy. I'll skip, amen, the next day because I think I'm going to be in pain. Amen, I'm going to give all diligence. It requires everything that you've got. It requires a whole heart, a whole life, everything that is within you. You've got to give it all to Him. You've got to give all diligence. This new birth experience that you and I have experienced, amen, does not rule out human activity. Amen. So you've been born again of water and spirit. Amen. So God has saved you from a life of sin. So God's delivered you from heartache. Amen. I'm rejoicing for that. But honey, you're going to have to, amen, do something with your newfound salvation. You can't relegate yourself to the sideline and say, well, I've been, amen, washed in the blood, sanctified in the spirit. Amen. I'll sit back and watch everybody else grow in the Lord. No, honey, you're going to have to put your work boots on. You're going to have to put your work gloves on and say, God, I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to get a hold of God with every that I've got God will do his part but make no mistake about it you and I are going to have to do ours hallelujah 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 God will do what he can do but you've got to do what you can do the biblical illustrator commentary Regarding this verse to give all diligence, the writers of this commentary state this is not a pragmatical business in others' affairs or not, amen, uh, you being so involved in other people's lives, but to rectify or to make right your diligence, confine it principally to one's self. Amen. Another uh, way of saying it is dress your own garden, lest it be overrun with weeds. Amen. If you're going to give all diligence, it's going to be looking at your face in the mirror every morning and say, Honey, you've got to be more like God. Nathaniel, you've got to change your ways. You've got to grow in the Lord. You cannot stand the same way. Amen. Every single day after day, you've got to grow in the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've got to dress your own garden. You've got to tend to your own affairs. Too many people worried about everybody else. Amen. But not as many people get on their face before the Lord and smite their chest and say, God, help me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, work in my life. Work in my heart. Change the man. Change the woman that I am. Help me, God, to give all diligence. Give all diligence. Spiritual growth is addition. Spiritual growth is increase. Just thinking, pondering that verse or that word growth. There is so much that can help and so much that can hinder growth. And you and I have got to be able to look things Look at things objectively and figure out, is this hurting me or is this helping me? 
Growth is not always an easy process. A few years ago, my brother and I were really into working out. Brother Nathan still is, but not as much as COVID. In the process of working out, you're trying to grow your muscles. You're you're trying to increase the size of your muscles. You're trying to get stronger. You're trying to get bigger. You're trying to get leaner. Whatever your goal is in, in exercise, you're trying to grow. You cannot grow muscles if you don't commit yourself to working out. You and I are not going to grow spiritually unless you and I commit ourselves to growing spiritually and praying and reading our Bibles and being faithful to church and saying, God, what do you have for my life? If you and I just drive by the gym three times, four times, five times a week if we're feeling good, but never get inside the gym and never work out, you're never going to get anywhere. You can't just come to church. Just like you can't just go to the gym and sit on the bench in the gym and say, I made it to the gym, buddy. I'm at the gym. Take a picture of me sitting by this bench. You're not going to get anywhere. But sometimes people think, well, if I'll just go to church, I'll grow. If you get to church, you're going to have an opportunity to grow. But unless you get involved in what God is doing and you say, God, work in my life. God, let me take what I get here in church, take it out there and exercise my faith. Lord, unless I get involved in church and get involved in the ministry, teaching a Bible study, whatever, doing something, you're not going to grow, honey. But when you and I commit, see, God, I'll not just go to the gym. I'll not just go to church. But I'll exercise my faith. I know it hurts. I know it's going to stretch you. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's tension. I know it's strain. But it's that tension that produces the muscle. It's the strength that you and I need tonight. You've got to exercise your faith if you're going to grow in the Lord. You've got just like you exercise your muscles to grow. So much. A few years ago, we bought a house here in Lathrop. I have had an itch for a long time with landscape and putting plants in the ground. When I when I take random drives during the middle of the day and my wife finds out I went to the nursery with all the trees are, she says, what'd you get? Oh, I'm just going, no, you can't just go sightseeing no more. So I've, I've, I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing all the greenery. It's, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's pretty, it's beautiful. It's, it's rewarding. It's almost sad knowing that every hole in the ground is filled, you can't plant no more. But I've had a few experiences where I've seen some plants die on me. Just, I have a, I have a, a, a row of boxwood bushes. <clears throat> it's like a hedge, one after the other lined up. But for some odd reason, one bush right in the middle of all the other ones started getting yellow on me. I said, oh, man, I got to maybe, and I, you know, we try and figure out what to do. We don't always know, but. I said, well, maybe I gotta give it some water. So I give it a little bit more water. And oh, maybe I need some vitamins. And gave it some vitamins. And it was going more and more yellow. I'm thinking, man, what am I gonna do? If you drive by my house, you'll figure out I didn't do much still, because it's still there yellow. I'm trying to get a replacement, but the nursery doesn't have any more. But you know what? What happened was it got infected. It allowed something to get in the root system that infected it. And if I was today, because I've done some other plants, if I was to grab it by the trunk of that bush and pull on it, it would come right out. It has no roots anymore. It's died off. You and I have got to 
if we want to grow in the Lord, we've got to make sure that we don't allow things to get into our lives. You see, well, I'm surrounded by the church. Yeah, but the enemy looks for an entrance into your heart. If he can make inroads into your heart and he can steal some joy, if he can sow some strife, some bitterness, he will zap the life out of you and kill you from where you are planted. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, this last several months, I've, I went down to the nursery again, as I often do, and I said, hey, I got some, uh, some box with them. They don't seem to be doing too well. And the lady said, give them these vitamins. Okay. So I got this box of vitamins and nutrients, and I began to put uh, one-fourth cup right at the root system of every different plant and watered it. Sure enough, all kinds of growth began to come out. Almost so fast, it, the branches could hold. It starts to kind of tilt over. If you get the right ingredients in your life, if you get the right mix of, the, uh, of all of these things that we're going to talk about tonight, there's going to be growth in your life. People will look at you and say, man, something happened over there in that sister's life, in that brother's life. Yeah, they've been getting what they need from God in times of prayer and the word of God. And they've kept their heart right and their heart pure. Let me, if I can take a few more moments of your time tonight, talk about some of these eight components that is involved in this growth chain or this uh, this cycle of growth. Uh, the first is faith. Which is the conviction of the truth or a reliance upon God. It is that integral key component of each one of our lives that the enemy goes right after. If you remember reading uh, the story about Peter as he, uh, as he faces off or he talks to the Lord and the Lord begins to talk to him before his crucifixion. He says... Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he would sift you as wheat. But I pray for you that what? Your faith would not fail you. No matter the, the trials and the storms and the things that you and I go through in life, amen, lots of things will come at you, amen, but you and I have got to say, you know what I've got to keep? I've got to keep my faith and my trust and my reliance upon the Almighty God. And even if I don't see my prayers answered, I'll still believe that it's a prayer answering God. Even if God never heals me, I'll still believe that He's a healing God. Even if I don't See the revival that I'm praying for. I'll still believe he's the one that pours out his spirit. You've got to make sure that your faith does not fail you. And that you keep believing. Because without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. You've got to say God I believe that you're able more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. Hallelujah. And everybody in this place tonight has been given a measure of faith. Has been given a measure of faith. And when you get to praying and you walk over there to that prayer ball, that, that prayer board, and you begin to pray, God, I believe that when I when I pray that you're going to begin to move something in the heavens and those prayers are going to be get to take shape. Hallelujah. I believe, God, that one day, amen, this prayer is going to come to pass. That, God, it's going to happen. Hallelujah. We had a, a prayer request over here on the wall just a few, uh, a short while ago as a, as, as a brother came and said, I want... I want to pray that my wife would be with me in church. And, and the prayer request was there on the wall. Amen. But it wasn't something that brother, amen, just pinned, a, wrote down a prayer request, pinned it on there and said, somebody else pray for it. No, you've got to be the one that, amen, puts legs to your faith and says, God, I'm going to pray for it. God, I'm going to live, amen, the life 
that will bring that person to church. I'm going to live the life that shows that what I've got is real. That's putting legs to your faith. That's giving all diligence. Hallelujah. You want to see your family saved? Then let God save you radically. You want to see your family saved? Let there be a radical change that happens in your life. You want to see miracles? Then when you get sick, believe that God will heal you. Amen. But whatever you have, put legs to it. Believe that God will help you when you get involved in what God's calling you to. Add to your faith virtue. We're not going to be able to finish this all tonight. Add to your faith virtue. That word virtue is a moral excellence. Virtue is a moral excellence. It is courage or fortitude to enable you to profess your faith before others. Several commentators have ascribed this word to mean uh, uh, having the resolute determination to do what is right in the sight of God. You say, well, I, I, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I, I'm faithful to church. But if you're going to grow in the Lord, you've got to add to your faith virtue. And virtue is... It is that resolute determination to do what is right in the sight of God. The believer's ultimate virtue comes, hear me tonight, in the achievement of his highest purpose, which is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. The believer's ultimate virtue is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Help us, God, tonight. Amen. That in our quest to live for God, hallelujah, we don't continue to resemble the old man and the old woman and the things of our past. But when people look at us, they see the image of the character of Christ in our lives. They don't look at at an old replica of what used to be, but they look at what God is currently doing in their lives. Hallelujah. Make people look at our lives and see what Jesus looks like. God have mercy upon each one of us tonight. We've got still a long ways to go. Amen. I've got a long ways to go. Hallelujah. But my prayer is tonight, God, help me to conform to the image of Christ. Let my life, my speech, my lifestyle, my actions and my words be words that reflect who you are tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I'm not anywhere where you want, where I should be, but I'm not where I once was. But God, if you help me, I'm going to get exactly, hallelujah, I'm going to reach the fulfillment of your promises upon my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a call to spiritual growth. There's a call to spiritual growth. This is the reason why God put the fivefold ministry in the life of the church. Because Peter would stand before the the Jewish believers and say, I see on the distance, on the distant horizon, there's going to be some tests you and I are going to face. You and the brethren and the sisters are going to face. But I'm going to tell you how to get through it and get over it and get past it. Grow spiritually in the Lord. Last year put everybody to the test. Right now it feels like, hey, things kind of leveled off in our world. Things might be getting a little bit better. I don't know what the future holds. But whatever the future holds, if you will commit to growing spiritually in the Lord, God, I'm going to grow Spiritually, I'm going to have radical faith in God. I'm going to give all diligence. I'm going to put forth every last bit of effort I've got 
I'm going to cut off all the things that hinder me. I'm going to stop all the things, the, the besetting sins, the weights in my life. Somebody here tonight has got to be mature enough in the Holy Ghost to understand, amen, that there are some things in your life, amen, that, well, they're not sinful. Honey, they're weighing you down, and you've got to get rid of the weights and the things that are stopping you and the things that are hindering you. You've got to let go of the weights. You've got to let go of some things. You've got to let go of some things. God wants this church to grow. And if you will commit to growing, if if every one of us will commit to growing, your walk with God, your understanding of the things of God, your appreciation for the ministry, your, your, your love for the brethren, and say, God, I'm going to grow in these things. As you grow, there will be others behind you that feel Fill in and follow you. So I want my kids to be saved. So I want my brethren, my sisters to be saved. So I want my neighbors to be saved. So I want to, my ministry to grow. I have got to commit to growing. Because this is a growth chain that we read in Second Peter chapter 1. But I'll skip to the end for the sake of time. Where this all leads to this commitment and being diligent to growing yourself in the Lord. It leads to verse number 8. If these things be in you and abound, they shall make, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. You want to be fruitful. You want to... The fullness of what God has for you. Commit yourself to these things. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge. Knowledge is having understanding with wisdom. Knowledge is not data collection. Knowledge is understanding with wisdom. So I know some details. And I have wisdom to know how to handle and deal with the details. That is what knowledge is. It's understanding with wisdom. How do you get that? How do you commit to this process of adding to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge? you got to have your face and one of these on a regular basis. You got to get your face and your heart in this book. It's not going to come by talking to family members, neighbors, friends, watching YouTube videos and, and, and looking at the news and, and, and social media accounts and, and every crazy story that pops across the headlines. It's no. Right here. What does it say for my life? You know what? It would do all of us a lot of good if we got our Bible out and we prayed with it. And then we said, God, I want you to speak to me through your word right now. Lead me to a section of this Bible that will help me. You pray that honestly. You'll begin to read your Bible. God will begin to speak to you. You'll begin to groan the Lord. God, give me something from this book right now. Give me understanding with wisdom. It will come from this book. Stop consulting everybody else in your world. Get your face back to the book. Get back in the book. In this book, you'll get discretion. In this book, you'll get right understanding. In this book, you'll get fuller knowledge. You say, well, I, I think I've been growing a, a lot in the, in the Lord. I think, I, I think I've grown. I've grown the Lord. I've been living for God for two, three, four, five, six, seven, I don't know how many years. 
You know, I would tell you, can you explain the oneness of the God to somebody? Can you explain holiness? Can you explain why women don't cut their hair and why men wear pants and women wear skirts? Can you explain why we live holy? Can you point me to a verse of scripture that 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 condemns the, the visual consumption that oftentimes is a besetting sin in people's lives? Can you can you walk me through your Bible and tell me, hey, how do you be saved? Show me some scripture verses. If the answer is no, I'm sorry, I can't, you don't you need to commit to growing some more. And say, I'm going to add to virtue, knowledge. So God saved you and delivered you and set you free. Have you moved into another dimension of growth and increase? The, the next thing after knowledge is temperance or self-control. Because true knowledge will lead a person to self-control. Temperance is self-control over one's desires, over one's passions, over one's appetites. As you get this book out, it's going to show you what's important in life and what means the most in life. It'll show you that bodily exercise profits little. Don't give yourself wholeheartedly to just being fit and in shape and neglect everything else. It'll, it'll talk to you about, you'll see things in the word of God and scripture. Things like you read in the book of Ruth, where Naomi tells her daughter-in-law Ruth, only work in Boaz's field. Don't work in anybody else's field. Just work in Boaz's field. Commit yourself to one church. Not this church and that church and this church. We've had people here before that, man, pastor, I, I've been a big fan. I've been, I'm a part of the ministry over here in Texas and in Louisiana and New York, and I follow this path. You know what? That's a bunch of nonsense. You need to be committed to one church. But you know what? That knowledge comes with the word of God in your heart. The word of God being in your heart. And that knowledge leads to self-control, which is control over your desires and your passions and, and every whim that comes across your life. It refers to the mastery. It refers to the mastery over all our evil inclinations and appetites. We are to allow none of them to obtain control over us. That is why John chapter 14, verse number 30 says that the prince of this world cometh. And hath nothing in me. In other words, there is no area of my life that the God of this world can lay claim to. Because I have surrendered and submitted everything in my life to God. I'm not going to church on Sunday and dabbling in witchcraft on Monday. I'm not going to church on Wednesday and going to the club on Thursday. Amen. I'm not going to Bible study on Friday and then messing around on Saturday. Amen. I'm committed. I'm giving all of my diligence to living for God. And if you want to live for God, if you want to grow, you've got to say, I'm going to give it everything that I've got. I'm going to give it everything that I've got. I hope that you'll stay with me for a few more moments tonight. But you and I have got to check our earthly desires in the light of the knowledge of God's word and the strength of virtue. And from temperance is added patience, which is steadfastness or endurance. And this is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved. Amen. From his deliberate purpose and from his loyalty, not even by the greatest trial or the suffering that he would encounter. Amen. But patience is a conscious submission of our will to the will of God. You know what patience is? Amen. It's not hearing someone with nails on a chalkboard for one hour and not saying a peep. That's not patience. Patience is submitting our will to the will of God. Saying, God, I'm going to 
I'll submit my will to the will of God. And from patience, godliness. At the core of what godliness is, and I know I'm going a little bit longer tonight. At the core of what godliness is, it's a God consciousness. It's a God awareness. I can remember when I was just in, uh, I think it was the eighth grade, uh, when we were going to Stockton Christian. And uh, and there were times in, in, as I sat there in the classroom and I began to think, man, is God pleased with me right now? What I'm doing is bringing glory to God. And, and it wasn't that I felt convicted about studying because that was the will of God, but it was other things in my life. And I remember on a couple different occasions in my life as an eighth grader that I had to get out from class and say, i got to go to the bathroom. And I'd go to the bathroom and go to a stall. And as crazy as it sounds, I'd pray. I would seek God and say, God, help me to please you. God, help me to do what's right in my life. Help me not to miss the will of God. Help me, God, to please you in everything, in every area, in every aspect of my life. Amen. There has to be a God consciousness in your life and in our lives if we're going to be godly. These are all components that's going to help you to not give way to the false teachings and doctrines that ever abound in our world. From godliness, brotherly kindness, or love of the brethren. Say love of the brethren. There has to be a love of the brethren in this church. This is not just being kind. This is not just saying thank you and please and you're welcome. And oh, you first, sweetheart. No. This is brotherly love. There has to be brotherly love in this church. To love the brethren is an indication of the genuineness of regeneration. And throughout Scripture, biblical love is always connected to concrete actions that you and I will take. You cannot say, I love God, but I hate my brother. You can't say, I love God, but then disobey Him. Your actions have to follow what you're saying. saying. There has to be love of the brethren. And the final thing, there has to be agape love, which is what is called charity or love to all mankind. This is the highest form of love. Love must not be confined within the limits of the church. You can't say, well, I love Brother Paul, Brother Nathan, and Sister Nancy, and Sister Leticia, but that, that joker out there that's hooked on meth, he's a loser. We don't want him. No. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, it's God. Save him. Help her over there. Help me to have agape love. No matter how they treat me, no matter if I never never come back to me, help me to love. And I'm closing with this. If we will have these things in our lives, there will be fruitfulness. You and I will grow. But it takes you and I giving diligence, saying, God, I'm going to work for this. I'm going to I'm going to put faith into action. I'm going to make sure that in my life there's virtue and there's knowledge and there's temperance and patience and and godliness and brotherly kindness and and, and charity. It's going to all be in my life. It didn't stop when God gave me the Holy Ghost and and I was baptized in Jesus name. That was the entrance into the kingdom. Now you've got to say God I'm going to go forward. I'm going to work with you. If a man says, you know what? I don't care for these things. Pastor, I don't believe you. I don't like this message. The Bible says, he that lacketh these things is blind. 
He has no clear views of the nature of God and what are God's requirements for us. If you say, I don't need that, I can, we'll, we'll negate all of that. You are showing spiritual blindness. And the second thing, he cannot see afar off or you're just nearsighted. You can't see further than what's right in front of you. There's no foresight. There's no vision. It means to uh, that you can only see objects that are near yourself, but no correct apprehension of more remote objects. All he sees is earthly things and things in his own temporal world. That's what a short-sighted person sees. And the third thing, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. This is spiritual amnesia. You have forgotten, if these things don't mean anything to you, you have forgotten the work that God did for you when you first came back to God, you first came to the Lord, however it happened. You've forgotten. I forgot. And the Apostle Peter said, hey, if you're going to make it through what's coming down the road, You've got to commit to these things in your life. The basis for spiritual growth, if you'd stand with me tonight, the basis for spiritual growth is that God has given believers, as we read in the contemporary English version, God has given believers everything that they need for life and for godliness. None of us can, can truthfully say in the fear of God, I don't have what it takes to make it. Because the fact of the matter is, is God has given you everything that you need to be the overcomer, to be what God wants you to be. He's given you everything that you need. These resources have come through the knowledge of God, the preaching, read your Bible, and so on. And God has promised these resources to all believers, and they enable us to share in God's nature and to escape the corruption of sin. The reward for spiritual growth is a promise of spiritual fruitfulness. If you will say, God, I'll put everything I've got into growing myself. There's a promise of spiritual fruitfulness. Some of you may know this, but you they've asked, uh, they've looked through the, the lifestyles of very successful people in the world. From executives to entrepreneurs to uh, people that are on the forefront of technology, people on the forefront of medicine. What are some similar traits? You know what those people will tell you? I read all the time. I heard one preacher say just recently, I'm not a voracious reader. I only read one book every two weeks. Okay. One book every two weeks, that's really good. He said, no, if you really want to really accomplish something in life and you want to grow, you need to read like one book a week. Because the, the most successful people in the world read 50 books a year. I'm like, 50 books a year? They don't have kids. They don't, they're, not, they're not bivocational and all those other things. But it's commitment to growing. It's commitment to growing. How many can raise their hand and say, I've read this Bible cover to cover? One. Therein is a problem. You want to grow in the Lord? Get your book. Get your face in this book. Get it out of Facebook. Get it out of Instagram. Get it out of TikTok and Twitter and whatever else is out there. I don't know. Start in Genesis. And say, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God, to Revelation chapter 21, the last verse. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quick. I'm going to get that cover to cover. You want to grow in the Lord? Get your Bible and read it cover to cover. Commit yourself. That's why Peter said, give all diligence. Stop hanging out in the boat. Jump out of the boat, swim, walk on water, whatever it takes. Get what God has for you. How many?
many can, and I don't look, I'm not going to look for hands on this one. How many can say, you know what, Pastor? I've prayed for more than one hour straight. I've prayed all night before. I've fasted for three days. It ha- there has to be commitment. God, I am going to grow in the Lord. I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm not going to stay where I am. Let me close with one last translation from the International Standard Version. Verse number 8 through 13 says, For if you possess these qualities and they continue to increase among you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in attaining a full knowledge of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. If you feel ineffective and unproductive, commit to this right here. For the person who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing he has received from his past sins. So then, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election certain. For if you keep on doing this, you will never fail. For in this way, you will be generously granted entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you about these things, even though you already know them and are firmly establishing the truth that you now have. Yet I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I am living in this bodily tent. God wants this church to grow. This church is growing, but hasn't reached the level of growth that God has intended for it to have. Until you and I say, God, I am going to give diligence to growing spiritually in the Lord. I don't want to be stunted in my growth. I don't want to grow funky and weird. I want to grow as you called me to. Brother Nate, you would never go to the gym and only work out your right arm. Brother Paul would never go to the gym and only work out his legs. So you and I can't say, I'm just going to keep to brotherly kindness. you got to take the whole ball of wax. i got to be all that God has for me to be. i got to grow in the Lord. And when I reach the mirror reflection of Jesus Christ, I'll know that I've grown in the Lord. Jesus, I thank you tonight for your word. Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus.